Take your Bibles, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3 is where we're going to be at today. If you've been with us, you know we've been going through the book of 1 Timothy, and the way we study Scripture here is section by section, verse by verse, to see what God is teaching us through the specific words and uh, sections of the Bible that He has given us. That lands us this morning in 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7. 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7. And what we find is that in 1 Timothy 3, Paul continues his instruction to Timothy as to how the church should function, how the church should function. Starting in chapter 2, he's really addressed uh, the, the, the role of men as leaders in the church, the role as women as helpful, helpful, helpful uh, individuals willing to do whatever and be whatever the church needs them to be. And now he continues on with that instruction as to what the church should look like. We come to verses 1 through 7 of verse 3, and really he talks about the character of a godly leader. The character of a godly leader. And uh, that's what we're going to be looking at. In this, he gives us qualifications for what a godly leader has to have, has to look like, um, has to have as part of who he is. Okay? If you know me... Uh, one of the things you for sure know is that I love sports. I love athletics, okay? And growing up, one of the sports I played was basketball. And growing up, the, the time that I did, one of the people that I idolized was, of course, Michael Jordan, all right? And, and to me, there's, there's really no goat debate who's the greatest of all time. Michael Jordan takes that spot, right? He has, he'll beat everybody else out. And uh, he's won six championships. He's led his team to six championships. He took time off to go play baseball. He came back and won more championships. Okay? He seems to be the greatest leader. And to, to do what he is supposed to do and accomplish the goal that he set out to do, seems like someone, wow, he is a great leader. Well, not too long ago, a documentary came out on him, Michael Jordan, during his championship time. Uh, and, the, and how he went about winning those championships. And a lot was shown about his leadership style, stuff that we as fans don't know, don't, uh, didn't understand. Um, but he was a different type of leader. Yes, he was one that accomplished what he wanted to get accomplished. He brought other people with him. He challenged them to be the best. But he did it in ways that were hard to hear and say, wow, that, that, I don't know if I would be a leader like that. He would do it by bullying, belittling, taunting, trash-talking, anything to beat his opponent, and all of those things he actually even used to his own teammates. In one specific instance he talked about in the documentary that practice got so heated between him and his teammates that he punched Steve Kerr to get him in line. Uh, Steve Kerr, if you know him, he's a smaller guy, little guy. Okay, And you think, wow, on the outside, he led his team. He, got, he accomplished what he wanted to. But does the way that a leader matter? Does the way that a leader accomplishes what he sets out to accomplish matter? What we're going to find is that in 1 Timothy, to God, uh, it does matter. Paul's instruction to Timothy is saying that the leaders of the church, the people that we see as following after God, they should have characteristics of God. They should show God's character to the people that are around them, to those that they have contact with. They should look like God. They should be examples of who God is. 
And that looks like as we look at those leaders and as we hold them up, what we're doing is we're holding up God, God's standards, and we're trying to be like them because they're trying to be like God. It's not about being like that person or holding that person up. It's getting to what they love. They love God. They want to serve God. That's what we have in 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7. We have the, the passage, which is basically the qualifications of a pastor. Let's read it in its entirety, and then we'll break up the sections and see what it has to teach us today. Verse 1, Paul says to Timothy, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may be, uh, he become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into dis- disgrace, into the snare of the devil. Let's pray before we look at this text. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us here. Help us as we look into your word, as we study it, as we're challenged by it. Um, Use the Holy Spirit to help us. In Jesus' name, amen. What we find here is he starts out in verse 1, and he says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. This description of overseer is an interchangeable word. It's interchangeable with bishop, elder, and, and these terms are interchangeable in the New Testament to describe the one role or job of the pastor. As we look at the New Testament, two different roles are put forth for the New Testament church. The bishop, elder, pastor, shepherd, those are all the same terms for a pastor of the church. Second role is the role of a deacon. And Paul, in teaching Timothy how these are supposed to run inside the church, he, de- he describes the qualifications here of the pastor, and our, our passage next week will talk about the qualifications of the deacon. But what did he say about the pastor? He says, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. He desires a noble task. And as we're going to find the, the characteristics that he lays out, um, it's one that meets God's standards and shows God's characteristics. It, it, now, as we're looking and we're, we're studying this together today, It's not for you to sit back and say, oh, this passage isn't about me. This is just about pastors. You know, in a very real sense, I am preaching to myself today about what characteristics God wants me to hold up as a leader. But as you as a listener to this as well, you're thinking and should be thinking, what are the characteristics that God shows are good for me to grow in, for me to want to mimic and be like? Because those are what I'm trying to attain. So what I challenge us with today is this one concept, if you leave with nothing else, aspire to exude the character of a godly leader. Aspire to exude the character of a godly leader. And as you exude the character of a godly leader, you are showing the character of Christ to others around you. That's our purpose, is to follow after Christ and to show everyone around us what a follower of Christ looks like. In doing that, you are sharing the gospel with other people. You are saying that 
I care about you. I love you the way that Christ loved you and sent his son to die for you. It's not in a selfish way that's all about me. As I'm trying to follow after God, I am showing you that I care about you because Christ cares about you. Verse 1, he says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. He desires a task that in God's sight is lifted up, is an important job, is something that is needed for his people, for his family. They need someone to lead them, to study God's word for them, to explain what God's word has to say to them. It's a noble task. Here's the other thing that goes right along with this. It is not an easy task. It's a hard task. Yeah, and, and I am faced with that reality uh, each and every week, each and every year. You know, th- th- there's, there's times as I went through seminary, my thought process was, I can't wait till I get done with school. I can preach and teach and, you know, that, that'll be awesome. I can do God's will in that way. Pastor's jobs are so much more than just preaching and teaching a sermon, a lesson. They're, they're being involved in people's lives and helping to them to shape their lives in a way that so they, they see who God is and they want to, to, to serve God. It's not something that I take lightly. It's not something that Pastor Dan takes lightly. It's a hard task, but God says here that it is a noble task. And this is God speaking through Paul. He's saying that it is important. It is important. And there are times that I have to remind myself of this because at, at times I think to myself, is this what I want to do the rest of my life? It's so hard. It's difficult. The week in and week out of trying to get stuff done and being part of people's lives that are messy at times. And, you know, it'd be much easier for me to go to Walmart. I'll stock shelves. I'll do something else that I know I can do with my hands. But it's, God says here, it's a noble task. It's a task that's so important, and I need it for my people to grow. He says it's noble and good for us to hold that position up. Aspire to exude the character of a godly leader. It's an important job and it's an important task. So then he goes on from Morris 1 to give us the qualities of a godly leader. As he, in this passage, he focuses mainly on the qualifications. Not really the jobs that the pastor has to do, but you know what that's telling us? Is that God cares more about character than your own ability to get things done. We can look at leaders that can get things done and say, oh, I wish I had that ability. I wish I could do this. I wish I could do that. God cares most about godly character. Doing what's right in the midst of hard things is going to go to great lengths to help uh, be the leader God wants us to. So today I want to quickly look at five qualities of a godly leader. Five qualities. And maybe you're thinking, well, five qualities. We normally do three or two. Or we, we're going we're gonna to make our way through these as quickly as we can. But five qualities of a godly leader. Number one, his reputation is favorable. His reputation is favorable. Have you ever known that one person that everyone wants to stay away from? You know, he's crabby, he's quick to anger, selfish, just not a very good person to be around. Maybe it's a co-worker, maybe it's someone that, uh, a family member that you have to be around. And it makes it difficult because you're like, "Ah, I know I should be kind and stuff, but I would rather just stay away from that person. Well, what we find here is that when we're talking about a godly leader and a godly person, this should not define what that person looks like. They should not be someone who is quick to anger, who is 
in the outward appearance and the way that he interacts with people, he should not show ungodly character. Look at verse 2. It says, Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. Above reproach. This is the, the, the view that other people take of this individual should be one that is favorable. As they see him, as they talk about him, as they have interactions with other people about him, they should say, oh yeah, pastor, he's helping me with this. Pastor, oh, did, you, did, he taught me this. Yeah, I can learn a lot from him. The interaction that they have, his reputation, is favorable. Now what this passage does not say is that he will never have someone that will attack him or attack his character. But as he is attacked, and as his character is called into question, under careful consideration, he will be found to be faithful to God. When the truth comes out, he is going to be found as someone who follows after God, wants to serve God, and his reputation is shown to everybody in that sense. So it says, therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. If we have a pastor or a Christian leader that is not above reproach, his, his character is flawed in the sense where people talk about him and they say, oh, I don't really want to talk to him about this. Something is wrong. We're having an issue with, with our leadership at that point. And God, through Paul, says to Th- Timothy, remind the leaders to serve God first. You know, that means as, as we interact with one another, as we have conflicts, or we, we go about in the right way of dealing with those. We do it in a loving way, and in a way that we can be different on different opinions, but still care about how we treat one another because we have God at the center of our relationship. Above reproach, above reproach. That's what a characteristic. The first one that we see is his reputation is favorable. That brings us to the second quality of a godly leader. Number two, his family life is a top priority. His family life is a top priority. What is at the top of your priority list? Or maybe you can get more specific. What's at the top of your priority list this summer? Oh, maybe it's, oh, I got to get that vacation in before the kids start school again. Maybe it's, I got to get out golfing. I really enjoy golfing. Maybe it's, oh, I got to get the boat on the lake. Oh, that's me. I haven't got my boat on the lake yet. I got to get my boat on the lake. Maybe it's, I got to get to the cabin. I got, I got to do this for work. I got to do that. I, I have a, a priority list that I have. Where does your family life fit into that priority list is the question that we find happening right here from Paul. Does it include loving your family like Christ? Let's look at our text. Verse 2 says, Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. Then he goes on to say, The husband of one wife... Sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle. Not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Then verse 4, he says, He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if anyone does not know how to manage his household well, how will he care for God's church? So two aspects of the family life that are addressed right here in the, in the text. Verse 2 and then verse 4. In verse 2, he says that the leader must be the husband of one wife. The husband of one wife. Now, many times throughout the past, this passage has been used to say that this means a leader must never have had a divorce in the past. Well, if you look at the exact Greek words of this context, it actually is translated that this person must be a man of one woman. 
or a one-woman man. So instead of saying this person has never had a divorce in the past, it's saying that it must be obvious that the person that is held up as a leader is a one-woman man. Now, what's the distinction in that? The distinction is that someone who is holding up or just this idea of a divorce is not going to the length of the passage that we see in front of us. It's much easier to just hold to that one baseline of, I must never have a divorce. You know, we've had, you can see leaders throughout the past who, you know what, they never got divorced, but you can look at their life and see that they were not technically a one-woman man. You know, they used their position to have relationships with people in their church that were ungodly relationships. They flirted with other people from the other sex in the same congregation. These are evil things that leaders who are supposed to be God, we have seen happen throughout history. I think this passage takes it even further if we understand it, the way the Greek explains it for us. The leader of God must be a one-woman man. His eyes are only for his wife, and everybody who see his reputation see that. No, he doesn't try to flirt with me, have different uh, eyes that he looks at me, so I, I, I see that he, he sees me in a different light. No, he has eyes only for his wife, only for his spouse. He thinks about her often. He thinks about her spiritual life. He thinks about the family, and that first person is his wife. We've talked about husband and wives and, and the roles that they play in the church, but here he says that the, the leader of the church is supposed to have only eyes for his wife. That goes to a question. How about you guys that are out here with us? Do your eyes look only for your wife? Do they, as you're watching television by yourself, as you're scrolling whatever internet sites you're on, do you have eyes only for your wife? This is a godly characteristic that leaders have to work at, and especially in today's age where inappropriate stuff is all around us and easy. Are we going to fight to be a godly leader in this, in this aspect? Paul says it's important. We need to do that. Be faithful to your spouse. Be a one-woman man. That's not all he mentions in this text. Verse 4 says, as you're talking about the family and that his family life is a top priority, verse 4 says he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his household, how will he care for God's church? So he says that it is an important task of him to care for his family. Care in a way that he is loving, putting them first, putting them on the place that is more important than all the other things that he has on his priority list. He's caring for them. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. Now that doesn't mean beating them, being harsh to them. That means actually caring for his children in the sense of bringing them alongside of him and showing them about Christ, teaching them about Christ, wanting them to grow up to love Christ and to be like Christ. If we see a leader who's not willing to spend time with his family in those sense, he's not doing the job God has called him to. It is sad to see that sometimes throughout church history, it has been said that pastors who spend all of their time at the church and then their extra time they spend with people around the church and for the church. Do we want to serve other people? Yes, we do. But who is the first and foremost that we love to serve is our family. It starts with our wife. It starts with our kids. And it's sad that kids will grow up in a pastor's home and not love God, 
not love Christ because their, their dad, who is loving God, trying to serve God, does not see his most important uh, ministry as his family. Okay? The, the, the text clearly shows he must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He ends with that last sentence and says that if a leader, a Christian leader, does not know how to or give the right amount of priority and time to his family, whereas they, they turn away from God and they do not follow and serve him, it's an, it's an example of how he's going to lead the church. He's not going to know how to lead the church because he's not leading his own family in a specific way. Now, a couple things about that. Number one, we know that at a certain age, kids grow up, they move off, and they, they are then their own person who are making their own decisions. You know, but as God has given the, the husband, the male, uh, authority over them while they're in the house, yet we should see them, the family, coming um, under his authority and submitting, and he should show the love for that family and the kids. So we should see them growing and him being a part of that. They should be faithful, and a leader, faithful leader should be faithful and caring for his children. So when, we, when you are, when your family life is a top priority, a couple things. You will, number one, think about and pray for them often. This is your wife and your kids. They're going to be on your mind. You're not about yourself. You're about serving. Number one is your family. When your life is a top priority, you will love them well. You will love them well. When your family life is a top priority, you will also continue to grow in your love and care. You don't act like you have it all together and you know everything, but you continue to grow in your love for them. That means asking for forgiveness at times. That means even contemplating your own thoughts and actions at times around your family. Yeah, it is a sad thing to think of family members growing up in a pastor's home or a leader's home and seeing different, uh, a different person at church or a public persona that is different than what they see at home. And there's too many times that you've heard stories of pastors' kids that grow up and say, I want nothing to do with that. That is hypocrisy. And that's, that's in pastors' homes. Okay, we, we should look at this and say, it is important for us to spend time and, and with our families and lead them well. Continue to grow in your love and care for them. And last, be an example of Christ to them. You will show them what loving God looks like. You are going to be the one that shows your family what loving God looks like. Are you going to show them that? Or are you going to show them something else that loving other things are more important than God? Second quality uh, of a godly leader is his family life is a top priority. The third quality of a godly leader, then, is his behavior shows the work of the Spirit in his life. His behavior shows the work of the Spirit in his life. A man of God is truly a follower of Jesus, and others can see it, and how he lives life shows them that he is a follower of God. His behavior shows the work of the Spirit in his life. Look again at verse 2. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. But then he gets to some of these character descriptions. He says, this person should be sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. Those first three qualifications can be grouped together, characterized together. And it says that this person should be sober-minded, self-controlled, and respectable. This means that how he lives his Christian life should be visible in his own mind. 
It's how he relates to himself. The word specifically says sober-minded. It's not really talking about alcohol here, but it's talking about he's not letting anything else cloud his mind when it comes to serving God. Alcohol or anything else is second place. God is the first one. He's sober-minded. The other thing it says is self-controlled. Even when there's things that he shouldn't do and he wants to do, he has trained himself through maturity that God and pleasing God is better than pleasing himself. He has learned to be self-controlled. Again, the third one here is respectable. Uh, He is held up in high respect from other people. These are things that we should try to gain in our own life. Are we sober-minded, self-controlled, and respectable? What else we find is the work of the Spirit is shown in this individual's life is that it is shown as he relates to other people as well. The last two qualifications there is that he's hospitable and able to teach. Hospitable and able to teach. Hospitable is putting other people above himself. We hear the word hospitable and we think having people over for supper or just having that type of thing happen. I think it takes it further than just having a meal with somebody. It's really being involved with their life. It's asking questions about their life and saying, how can I uh, interject myself into their life in a beneficial way and care for them and love them? That's what hospitable means. It's praying for them. It's, it's saying, can I be part of your Christian walk? I want to be part of your Christian walk. We need to be hospitable to one another. And then it says that this, the leader, the pastor, the overseer, should also be able to teach. That means that he can take time and effort to sit down, study God's word, understand what God's word says in a passage, in a context, and be able to bring it to others who are around him and explain God in the midst of that passage. Explain who Jesus Christ is, explain what Jesus Christ did, explain God's love for us, and explain exactly what that passage is telling from the eyes of the author in the context that it's given to us. This takes time and effort. And it's, it's, it, I know, I, I end up doing it each and every week. And it's a task, but it's a job that a pastor and overseer must be able to do, able to teach. And he's willing to put the time and effort into that so that he can grow in that area. Now, I tell you, I do not come up here uh, willy-nilly and say whatever's on my mind. It's been after a week of praying and studying and asking God to help me see what I can teach our, our people. It, it's an important job. Being able to teach takes time and effort. It's not, it is something the pastor has to excel in, but it's something that we as a church family should also want to grow in. Are you taking uh, suggestions when I give a book to look at, to read, Do you ever stop by our pamphlets over in the corner and and pick one up that might help you? Those are type of things that you want to excel in, study. And if you have questions, ask me, ask Pastor Dan, send me an email so that we can talk about that. We can help in in any way that we can. We also find it says sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. So that relates to God's word pastor is not about getting a position for himself or teaching what he thinks is best or what's right. He is about teaching about God, teaching what God's word says. He, he wants everyone to see his God. 
He doesn't want to see himself. And it's sad that too many pastors have gone the other way, have been about, all about themselves, gaining a following, gaining uh, people to say, wow, you did such a great job. It, it's not about that. It's about God. Is the pastor you're following going to teach you and show you about his God, the God of the Bible? All of these qualifications of the Spirit, they lead us to Galatians 5, 19 through 24, the works of the Spirit. It says this in Galatians 5, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envies, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he makes a transition here, verse 22. He says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Paul reaffirms what he says in 1 Timothy. He says that a leader that is godly should exude the characteristics of God. All of these fruits of the Spirit should be coming out of him and should be visible. That brings us to our fourth qualification for our leader. Number four, his behavior shows the putting off of sin in his life. His behavior shows the putting off of sin in his life. Imagine with me that you decided you want to lose 10 pounds. Who of us hasn't been there? We all want to lose 10 pounds, right? Now, think with me. You, you, you decide you want to do it. You go about telling the people around you, hey, I'm going to lose 10 pounds. I'm going to go on this diet. Sometimes this happens the beginning of January, right? New, new year, new life. You want to do stuff. You tell them you want to leave, lose this 10 pounds, but then you don't go about doing anything you need to do to lose that 10 pounds. You still eat the same. You still have those snacks at night. You still sit on the couch and don't do any exercise. Would it seem in that instance that you're really serious about doing the task that you're saying you want to do? Well, no, it wouldn't make any sense, right? Well, what we find happening here is that Paul is saying the qualifications of a leader should raise them up and we should see positive ones but we should also see in the negative sense him seeing what's not good for him, what's not right, and putting, purposefully taking those and putting them off in his life. Look at verse 3. It says that this individual, the overseer, must not be a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. So he gives some specific negatives that they should not do. First of all, he says not a drunkard. He should not give himself an excess to wine or alcohol that is going to cloud his judgment, cloud his mind, and turn to something else other than God for comfort. That should never be. And specifically here, he talks about the idea of drunkenness. He should not be seen as a drunkard. He also should not be violent, or, but gentle. The way that he deals with people should be seen as caring, loving. Even in the midst of being attacked, even in the midst of having a hard conversation, or someone not being happy, his, his, his instance should not be to turn to anger, to try to pound somebody into submission. That is not the way a godly leader should look. Because he's showing Christ, and we know what about Christ is that even though he was reviled, he did not revile in return. He allowed God the Father to 
he submitted himself to God the Father, and he knew that God would take care of him. And that's the way that a true Christian leader should, be, should see, that God is going to take care of it. He's not a drunkard. He's not violent but gentle. He's not quarrelsome. He doesn't look to make a mountain out of a molehill. He does not look to just get his own way in everything. He is not a quarrelsome person. He is one that is gentle and caring. Lastly here, he is not a lover of money. The reason that he wants to be a pastor is not because he wants the finances that comes from being a pastor. And if you know a lot of pastors, that's really not a a, a motivation for me or other pastors. Um, But some of us can still love money. Even if we don't have a lot of it, we can do what we do because we want to get more of it. Or maybe it's not money, maybe it's the next thing in your life that new toy, that new house, that whatever it is. We can still love those things. And this says that the person that is a a leader, a godly leader, does not live for those things. His behavior shows the putting off of sin in his life and the putting off of things that do not equal godliness. That brings us to the last, the final qualification for a godly leader. Number five, his maturity in Christ is continual and noticeable. His maturity in Christ is continual and noticeable. Verse number 6 says, He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. This gives a qualification that this should not be a new convert that we put into a place of leadership. We should test him. We should help him grow in maturity. And that's the thing here, that our maturity should be continuing to grow. If we have the Holy Spirit and we're striving to try to follow after God, we're growing with him in our prayer life, in our understanding and knowledge of God. That means we're around the church. We're learning from other mature men. And in those instances, they continue to grow. We don't throw young baby Christians into spots of leadership. We give them time to grow and mature. His maturity in Christ is continual. It starts, everyone's got a starting spot, but that's not where it ends. He should have uh, visibility, visibly see some of his growth in those areas. Look at verse number 7 then. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. His maturity is noticeable. Is noticeable, not just to the people in the church, but to the people outside of the church. What we find happening here in verses 1 and 7 both, the kind of tail, the, the beginning and the tail end, is this idea of respect and, and having a position that people all around him see him as someone that loves them, that cares for them. People outside of the church. How are our relationships with people outside the church? You know, we have specific instances in, in the church where we help people, we, we share with people. But how about your coworkers? How about the people you go hang out with on the weekends? Do they know you love God? Do they know it by how you treat them? Do they know it by what you talk to them about and the, the advice that you give them? Is it geared towards God or is it geared away from God? A, a Christian leader should have his maturity in Christ uh, as continual and noticeable. Now, this passage is a tall order for anybody, for pastors. Um, it, it's not one that I take lightly, and I feel like even as I study it thoroughly myself, wow, I, I can point out all those things and say, I I need to grow in that. I need to be better at that. It's a tall order for all of us. So so what do we ask you today? 
Number one, pray for your pastors. Pray for your pastors. Pray for me. Pray for Pastor Dan. That we grow in these areas. That we truly do care about God, love God, serve people. Number two, pray for God's help in growing in godly character. We see these as things we all need to work on. So don't just pray for us as pastors. Pray for yourself as, that God will help you. And that's the last thing. Pray for God's help to grow your love for him. These characteristics are not devoid or separated from a love of God. They, they, they automatically start to mature and continue to grow as we love God more. If we separate them from God and say, oh, I just need to get better at being a leader in this way and that way, but we leave God out of it, we're doing it by our own strength and it's going to fall flat. We need God's help. Pray for your pastors. Pray for God's help in your own life to grow in these leadership roles um, and God will answer us. All right, let's bow in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for our time this morning in your word. We thank you for the different leaders that you have brought into each and every one of our lives that have helped us grow over the years. God, we want to grow to be more like you. And uh, help us as we look, think about these characteristics as we go home to grow to be more like you. Thank you for our time in your word today. In Jesus' name, amen.